At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are walking through a sermon series called The Wise of Worship. Worship certainly extends beyond what happens in this room. It's a response to all that God is with all that we are, lifting him up and magnifying and glorifying his name. That's what worship is all about. But in a special way, we gather in this room on Sundays to spend an hour together doing a variety of things. First of all, we just gather. We, we sing when we gather Baptism is a part of our worship gatherings from time to time. We celebrate communion together. Uh, we, we pray together. We have sermons from God's word together. We provide offerings. All of these things are part of our time of worship. The question is, why? Why do we do these things? Well, in this series, we're walking through the whys of worship. Today, we're in part three of this series talking about why we baptize. Why is baptism a part of our regular rhythm of worship? You know, three times a year, we have baptism Sundays at Wildwood. The next one is March the 10th. Why do we set aside special days to gather to watch others be baptized or to be baptized ourselves? Well, today we're going to look at the New Testament. We're going to look at God's Word to find out more about the place of baptism in the Christian life. Now, before we get there, I just want to acknowledge that baptism is something that people can be confused about. It's something that people have questions about. It's something that even will send Christians scattering and scurrying to different corners because of their perspective on the topic. It's something that can be confusing. And this is nothing new. I want to take you back to 450 A.D. In 450 A.D., there was a young missionary from England who left England to go and evangelize Ireland. This was a gentleman by the name of Patrick. You might know him as St. Patrick. Well, Patrick was evangelizing and preaching in parts of the country when a, a king in that country became aware of Patrick and his ministry. And so he invites Patrick to come down to his palace and to preach to him this message, to introduce Jesus to him. The king hears this message and is so compelled, so convinced that he places his faith and trust in Christ. Patrick then responds that baptism would be the next step. And the king, understanding his place as a king, says it's not appropriate just to go down to the river right now and do it, but let's have an event. Let's invite all of my friends where they can hear this message also and then witness the baptism. And so a baptismal is dug and Patrick's friends come over. On that time, Patrick stands and he preaches. And while he is preaching, people are leaning in. People are listening to the message that he is proclaiming, and they are, they are leaning into the message. They're leaning into the person of Christ. Well, at the end of the message, it's time for the baptism. And so Patrick has everyone bow their heads as he raises his staff in his hand and to offer a prayer of blessing over the king. And as he is praying for the king, he gets so worked up at one point that he takes his staff and he brings it down to the ground landing it on the top of the king's foot, piercing it all the way through. Well, the king, having never seen a baptism before, thinks this is just part of the program and tries his best to not make a noise or to squirm. 
When Patrick says amen, he takes off his robe. He steps down into the the makeshift baptistry that had been made, and the king begins to hobble his way there to Patrick's horrified sight. Not wanting to disrupt the service further, Patrick goes ahead and and baptizes the king, and they don't talk about it in that setting. Uh, How did those around, his friends, how did they respond? Well, his colleague, another cleric, witnessing the event said, unfortunately, we received no further requests for baptism on that day. All those previously eager souls were nowhere to be found. It wasn't until many weeks later that I and my fellow clerics, after much quiet convincing, brought half the king's court down to a forest stream where Patrick dunked them with their feet intact. (laughs) Now, friends, is this story true? I got to be honest, I don't know. There's a lot of myth that has sprung up around Patrick's life, but it does illustrate a point. Baptism can be confusing. We can have questions about baptism. We wonder, are we doing it right? Well, this morning, I, what I want us to do as we talk about this issue of baptism is I, I, I don't want us to just share what, what I think about it. I want us to look at the Bible together. I want us to do a, a survey of really the New Testament to see what the New Testament teaches about baptism so that our thinking, our questions might be instructed by not the practice of a you know, missionary in 450, but our practice today. So let's take a look at baptism from the New Testament. I want to read for us a a key set of verses in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, verses that I find very compelling about baptism. I'll share why before we're done today, but I want to begin by reading these verses, and then we'll embark on a study through the New Testament. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, friends, what I want us to do today is I want us to walk through the Scriptures to learn something about baptism, both its place in the Scripture as well as what it pictures So let's look first at the place of baptism in the New Testament. Now, before we look at a number of verses, I want to first begin by talking about the etymology of the word baptism. The word baptism was not a word invented by Jesus. It was actually a word used in the first century, even in secular ways it was used. It's not even a, a particularly religious word. Jesus will adopt it and use it in very significant ways. We'll see that in a moment. But what did the word actually mean? Well, the word baptism in Greek is the word baptizo. And the word baptizo literally means to dip into or to immerse. So this word baptizo might be used in any number of settings. One possible setting we might imagine if we were present uh, to watch the Titanic sailing across the Atlantic many years ago. At one point, we would see the Titanic and we would see the Atlantic. Until the Titanic hit... The iceberg. And when it hits the iceberg, what happens? It submerges into the Atlantic. 
So that if we had been standing on the shore or on the, 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 the top of another boat watching this event transpire, at one point we saw them both, but when the Titanic was baptized into the Atlantic, we no longer saw them both, we only saw the Atlantic. It was baptized into the Atlantic, it was dipped into, it was immersed into the Atlantic. Now, given this very descriptive, literal meaning of the word, it's not surprising that it is used in figurative ways. So this word baptism has a figurative meaning that means to fully identify with something. The the Titanic in our illustration is fully identified with the Atlantic. You cannot separate the two. And so there is a, a figurative meaning to baptism that talks about our full identification with something. Now, given this background, both literally and figuratively, it's not a surprise that Jesus would take this word and have it describe a special ceremony that people who begin to follow him participate in. Christian baptism, then, is a public display of submerging one in water to symbolize their identification with Christ. This is what Christian baptism is all about. It's why it is a part of our time of worship. Now, where do we see this in the New Testament? Where do we see baptism in the New Testament? I want to quickly move through a number of verses. So we're going to be moving fast. The verses are on the screen. Hopefully, we can keep up together as we look at this because it's mentioned in many places. The first place I want to talk about is baptism in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the biographies of Jesus' life and the description of his historical ministry. What do we see baptism in the Gospels? Well, we see it first in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, and also in a number of parallel passages where we see this guy named John who had a nickname, John the Baptist. That's because he was a baptizer, right? That's where he got his nickname. He was the forerunner to Messiah, and he was out in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance of sins. He was saying, we're a sinful people. We need God's forgiveness in order to prepare for Messiah to come. We need to acknowledge that we are sinners by entering this water together. Now, it's interesting that John baptized in a place near Salim because the water was plentiful there. This has an indication of of the nature of the baptisms that John was leading. It took a lot of water to do them, not just a little bit of water. It took a lot of water. And so we see John as the first expression of baptism in the New Testament. Now, John actually baptized someone very famous. Who did John baptize? He baptized Jesus, right? In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus came down to John to be baptized, not because Jesus himself was a sinner, but because he was identifying with the sinfulness of humanity. And it was in God's righteous plan for Jesus to begin his public ministry with this very public act of baptism in the Jordan River. And so we see in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus baptized by John at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus modeled it. But we need to continue on and look at other places. What was their understanding of baptism? Well, in Luke chapter 7, we we see a description of their understanding of baptism this way. When all the people had heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. What this is saying is that those who saw themselves as sinners, the, the, the tax collectors, Those kinds of folks, those who understood that they had fallen short of the glory of God, they showed their identification with that place as a sinner by being baptized by John. 
But it continues on. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The Pharisees did not identify themselves as a sinner and therefore rejected John's baptism. So baptism shows a recognition or a commitment, identification with something. They understood this. Now, in John chapter 4, we find out that Jesus himself and the things around him in his ministry, there were some baptisms that were taking place. Jesus himself was not the one doing those baptisms, but apparently his disciples were. And so in this picture from John 4, we're reminded that Jesus had baptism even in his earthly ministry, different significance from what would follow, but also kind of continuing this ministry of John in preparation for what Jesus would do on the cross. Because of the disciples' participation in this, they probably weren't totally surprised after Jesus' resurrection when he appears to them on a mountainside and he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And as they begin to follow me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It'll be a special ceremony to celebrate people turning to follow Christ. This is a gift that Jesus has given the church. It's something that we have been charged with as a church to help people as they begin to follow him, to trust him, to express that faith and trust in water baptism. Now, if this is what we see in the gospels regarding baptism, what do we see in the book of Acts? And this is important because Acts is the story of the first church. It's the story of those who began to follow Christ right after his ascension to heaven. And so by looking at the book of Acts, we can see their understanding of what Jesus had commanded them to do. And in the book of Acts, we see baptism playing a very important role. Jesus, before his ascension, would say in Acts 1-5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus was saying, hey, baptism and identification with me is going to bring with it spirit empowerment. So the experience that you had with John in the wilderness is being upgraded in a significant way. The baptism that Jesus would have them be a part of and what it would remember and symbolize not only identification with him not only forgiveness but also the coming of the spirit as well not only do we see this but we see peter giving his first sermon at pentecost and as he delivers this sermon what is his call to action after presenting the person of christ what does he say peter said to the crowd repent and be baptized every one of you he said, turn away from the sin that you have committed. Turn away from Jesus who you just sent to the cross and instead begin to follow him. And as you do so, may you be baptized. Well, did anybody respond? Absolutely. In verse 41, we see that 3,000 people received the word that day and they were baptized. And so we see the pattern develop. What did they understand? As people believe, then they are baptized. We see that in Acts 2. Now, let's continue on and look at Acts chapter 12. Philip is preaching. And as Philip is preaching, people believe the message that Philip is presenting. They're beginning to trust and to follow Christ. They're believing the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And so because they believed, what did they do with them? They were baptized, not just the men, but the women as well. We continue on in chapter 8, and we get a particular story. 
That was a general story, but a particular story is there was a man from Ethiopia, a government official who was traveling in a chariot, and he's reading the scripture, and he's confused by it. And he sees Philip, and he invites him up into the chariot, and Philip explains to him the work of Jesus. And the Ethiopian responds by placing his faith in Christ. And, and after he trusts in Christ, the, the Ethiopian says this. He says, see, there's some water over there. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Again, the pattern. They believe, and then they are baptized. We continue on in chapter 9. In chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would become known as Paul the Apostle. And Paul, who had once you know, rejected Christ and persecuted Christians, sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he, he falls in faith before him, and he's blinded, and he goes to a house, and, and after some time, the scales removed from his eyes, he regains his sight, and what does he do next? He's baptized. Why? Because that's the pattern. You believe, and then you are baptized. This is the practice of the early church. We move on to chapter 10. In chapter 10, we, we see Peter going to the home of Cornelius, a, a Gentile, not a Jew, a Gentile. And Cornelius believes Christ, and after he believes, the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter says, I can't keep you from being baptized, you Gentile folks, because obviously you have the same Holy Spirit we have. You've placed your faith in the same Jesus we have placed our faith in. And so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Christ. Again, belief and then baptism. We see this in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, the, the apostle Paul and his crew ends up in Philippi. They meet a woman named Lydia. Lydia hears the gospel. She believes and she was baptized after her belief. And not only her, but her whole household as well. Lydia went home. She told those that she was living with about the goodness of Jesus. And it so impacted them that they also placed their faith in Christ. And then what happened next? They were baptized. We see a little later on in this city of Philippi, the same events transpiring with a jailer. Remember last week we talked about how Paul and Silas were arrested. They were bound and placed in the dungeon, and at midnight they were singing hymns to God. Well, God responded by shaking the walls and opening the gates of the prison, but they didn't leave. They stayed, and this had such an impact on the Philippian jailer that he wanted to hear the God that they were singing about. And so they told him of the gospel, and the jailer places his faith in Christ. And after the jailer comes to faith in Christ, it says he was baptized. In the middle of that night, he and all of his family with him, also believing and trusting in Christ. We see this not only in Philippi, we see it over in Corinth. Paul goes to Corinth, and there was a ruler of the synagogue there by the name of Crispus who believed in the Lord. He trusted in Christ together with his entire household. His whole house followed his lead and also believed in Christ. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed. And what happened after they believed? They were baptized. You see the pattern again and again and again. Now, I want to also look at a very interesting verse in chapter 19 of Acts. Here we move from Corinth in chapter 18 to Ephesus in chapter 19. Now, when Paul shows up in this city, there were people there who had a baptism that was like the baptism of John. They had recognized their sinfulness. They had recognized their, their need for God's intervention, but they did not yet know about Christ. So they were, they were primed and ready to trust in Jesus. They just didn't know about him yet. 
And as a part of their religious experience, they had even been baptized with water, a baptism similar to the baptism of John. What does Paul do with these folks? Well, Paul shares with them the person of Christ, and upon hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What Paul was saying was, just because you had water in a religious ceremony, it's not baptism unless you are understanding the person of Christ and what he has done for you. And so he baptizes them again, this time identifying them with the person and the work of Christ. And so again and again, friends, we see this pattern, belief, then baptism, belief, then baptism, belief, then baptism. Now, baptism is a sign. What is a sign? A sign is a a physical thing that signifies a spiritual reality. Now, in God's economy, there are covenants that God had with people. One of the covenants that God had with people in times gone by was the Old Covenant. Think Old Testament. This was the, the covenant that God established with the nation of Israel. Now, when God established that covenant with the nation of Israel, he had a sign that signified it. So, you may know what that sign was? The sign of circumcision, the sign of circumcision. It was instituted in Genesis chapter 17, 11, when God speaks to Abraham and says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God established a sign of the covenant that he had with people in the Old Testament times, specifically with the descendants of Abraham that would ultimately turn into the people of Israel as they are given the law in the book of Exodus. Circumcision was the sign that would signify that covenant. But what's interesting is Paul talks about this sign, and he talks about it in the New Testament in the book of Romans in places like Romans 2. And what he says is, he says that for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What's Paul saying here? What he's saying is, is that God doesn't take these signs of his covenant and make them just acts of the flesh that leverage God or, or obligate God in some way. God's primary concern was not the physical circumcision of Jews. God's primary concern was their hearts. He wanted them to trust in him. And that is what he rewarded. If that was true in the old covenant, friends, I believe it is also true in the new. God's primary concern is not that water touches our skin in a religious ceremony. It's that our hearts have trusted in Christ. Now, we we see this also in Romans chapter 4 when Paul says this again about Abraham and circumcision. He says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. He was justified. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. This is pointed out by Paul again to say that God's primary concern is our faith and trust in him. It's not in the physical outward sign, seal, or ceremony. That does not mean that circumcision wasn't important in the Old Testament. It does not mean that baptism is not important in the New Testament. It means that baptism does not require God to do something he doesn't want to do. And God is not fooled by a religious ceremony. He instead is looking at the reality and the content of our hearts. So we see this in this picture of circumcision as a covenant sign. 
But we might ask, well, why is it that the sign has changed? Well, there was a point when it changed. And the church leaders under the direction of the Holy Spirit changed it. There was a a conversation that happens in Acts chapter 15 where some Pharisees stand up and they say, in order for people to really be connected to God, they must still go through circumcision. And Peter responds and says, that's not the way that I see it. Because in my practice of going around to Cornelius' house and to others, I've seen Gentile people place their faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes upon them even before circumcision was ever a thing. And so Peter says, that's not how I'm seeing it play out. So what did the church decide? Well, James speaks, again, directed by the Holy Spirit. James speaks and says, my judgment is then that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Trouble them how? Trouble them with the keeping of the law. Trouble them with the the sign of circumcision. So it begins to change. And this is what is talked about in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians 2, Paul writes and says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What is a circumcision made without hands? By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is this, this new sign, this circumcision without hands, this circumcision of Christ? Well, he says, having been buried with him in what? Baptism. In baptism. Baptism becomes a visible sign of a covenant relationship between us and God. A relationship that begins on the basis of faith and dependence upon God, but is celebrated through the outward sign and seal of baptism. Now, there's something interesting about circumcision. What gender would be circumcised? Only men. Why is it then that in the new covenant, we baptize both men and women. Well, first of all, see the, the grace of God and his change of, this, of the symbol. This is what is talked about in Galatians chapter 3. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that doesn't matter if you are from a Jewish background or a Gentile background. It doesn't matter if you were a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you were male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus that there is a a symbol, there is a seal, there is a picture that we all get to celebrate in together, and that is the picture and the seal and the symbol of baptism. Now, in the Old Covenant, it was a covenant that cared a lot about birth connections, right? The Old Testament is full of genealogies, again and again and again. Genealogies are in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, how many physical genealogies are there? Well, there's really only one. It's mentioned a couple of places, but it's a genealogy, and it ends with who? With Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Why? Because what is most critical in the new covenant is not our first birth, it's our second. It's not who our parents were, it's are we born again into the family of God in Christ? This is why Jesus would say in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, born of water and the Spirit. Friends, why is baptism not something that at Wildwood we practice for infants? Because we're not celebrating their physical birth into a Christian family. Baptism, we understand, is a picture of the celebration of a second birth of placing faith in Christ. 
being born again in him. It's the seal, the sign of a new covenant that was created in Christ. So is baptism for me? Is baptism for me? Well, a couple of questions we need to ask. First question is this. Have you repented of sin and trusted in Jesus? Do you recognize that you are a sinner that fallen short of the glory of God? And have you come before God and confessed that sin and understood that Jesus' death on the cross is the payment for that sin? Have you trusted in him? It begins there. It doesn't begin in a ceremony. It begins in our hearts. Romans 4 made that clear. Romans 2 made that clear. So have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? That's question one. If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, whether that was at some point in the past or whether that is right now this morning in this moment, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, the next question is, have you been baptized since trusting in Christ? Again, what's the the pattern that we've seen in the book of Acts? Belief and then baptism. So since believing, have you been baptized as a public expression of faith? Again, God's primary concern is not the amount of water. God's primary concern is is not, you know, any of these things in, in locations. God's primary concern is in your heart. But he wants us to celebrate what he has done publicly with the family of faith that he has placed us inside. Now, at Wildwood, if you're listening to these things and it's stirring in your heart and you would like to find out more about baptism or, or maybe even express an interest in it, know that next Sunday, we're going to have baptism classes. You can go in your bulletin. You can find these details about it, but you can also go to wildwoodchurch.org baptism, fill out that form of registration and we'll follow up. But we would love to talk more about baptism and how we do it here and a little bit more of what I've shared this morning as we talk about baptism and its place in the life of our church family and help prepare you for baptism at Wildwood. Our next baptism service is March the 10th. So we think about baptism as a response. We think about the place of baptism in the New Testament. But I want to end by not just talking about the place of baptism, but I want to end by talking about the picture of baptism. In, in In the picture of baptism, there are a number of beautiful symbols that Jesus has done. They have all the things that he could have could have done with with this, this symbol of our connection to him now. Why did he pick baptism? Well, there's a great number of great pictures in it, so let's take a look at them. One of those great pictures that we have of baptism is the picture of being new in Christ, of being new in Christ. We saw this in Romans 6, 1 and 2 as we began the service. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's argument is that we don't live like we used to live because we're not who we used to be. In Christ, we are a new creation. And baptism is a symbol and a reminder of being able to walk forth in newness of life. Second thing that we see pictured in baptism is that it reminds us that we are identified with Jesus. Romans 6, again, in verses 3 and 4, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we have trusted in Christ, 
These verses tell us that we are identified with Jesus' death. Think about the picture that we have in baptism. Somebody is taken down under the water, reminding that we are identified with the death of Christ, that his death paid the penalty for our sins. We take them under the water as if they are buried, reminding that the old them that was worthy of God's wrath was placed in the tomb with Christ. And then we bring them up from the water, a picture and reminder of of our identification with the new life that Jesus offers us to live. What a gift. What a picture that Jesus has given to the church, not only to remind us of our newness in Christ, but also of our identification with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Third thing I would say is it reminds us that we are hidden in Jesus. Remember back in Colossians chapter 2 that we looked at earlier, we have been buried with him in baptism. He continues this thought in chapter 3 when he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is wrapped up in Christ. Just as we are wrapped up in water in that moment, so also we are reminded that we are wrapped up in Christ before God. When he looks at us, he sees his son who bled and died for us, who lived a righteous and perfect life. Amen? We see that in baptism. We also were reminded of the cleansing that comes by Jesus. I love what it says in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is a symbol of the cleansing that happens in our souls when we trust in Christ. And Lastly, we might see that we're reminded that we are unified all in Christ. We don't have a different baptistry at the front of the room for everybody. We got one. Why? It's a reminder of our unity in him. He is what draws us together. He is the one that that is the only name by which we might be saved. And so we come together and we remember unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You know, I... I think it's sad that baptism is something that Christians fight over all the time, right? It's one of those things that causes denominations to spin up and churches to split. Jesus gave it not to split churches, but to remind us of our unity in him. Isn't it amazing how Satan can twist something like that? These are some of the things that are pictured in baptism. And so what are we to do in response? A couple things I would say, three things. The first one is this, know the significance of your baptism. If you have been baptized, think of it as a precious gift that God has given you in Christ. Thank him for it. There was a moment when you stood in front of a group of people in a church someplace and and you said, I'm with Jesus. Let that moment flood back as as an encouragement and a reminder to you. It's a gift that God has given you. If you have not been baptized, may this be a challenge today to consider baptism as you publicly celebrate beginning to follow Christ. Second thing, worship on baptism Sundays. You know, why would on three Sundays a year, March the 10th is the next one, we cancel all of our other programming and we all gather in this room for baptism. And, and I understand when you break rhythm, it is, it is hard to keep rhythm, right? When we break down, we say, we're not having these classes. It's, it's a time when sometimes we think this will be the Sunday that we sleep in. This will be the Sunday that we just watch the stream. This will be the Sunday that we whatever. May that not be the case. Baptism is a gift that Jesus has given to the church. 
May we see these Baptism Sundays as special opportunities to remember our connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ and remember what God has done for us in Christ as we see those pictures play out in front of us in baptism. And the third thing I would say is share your baptism story. Share your baptism story. Share it with somebody today. Just if you've been baptized been many years, share your, your baptism story with someone else. I, you know, I, I read at the beginning of the service, I, I read Romans chapter 6. I was in Greek class at Dallas Theological Seminary studying Romans 6 when I came to a realization in 1998. I realized that this was talking about something that I had not experienced, that I had trusted in Christ, but I had not been baptized since trusting in Christ. And so I went into uh, the room. I took out my calling card because we didn't have cell phones. And I typed in all the numbers and I called uh, long distance to Capel, which was like 20 miles away, my, uh, my senior pastor who I was working for. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I said, if, if I tell you something, are you going to fire me? And he said, well, it depends on what you're going to tell me. I said, well, I'm going to tell you that, that I have not been baptized and I would like to be baptized. You're going to fire me for that. And he said, no, I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to baptize you. I said, fantastic. When can we do that? And he said, well, how about Wednesday night? And so that Wednesday night in December, outside in a pool in Texas at a youth group meeting where I was the youth pastor, I was baptized. And I got to share my story of what the Lord had done. And then after I was baptized, turned around and I baptized my wife. Um, Friends, what's your story? It's a gift that God has given to remind us of the celebration it is when we begin to follow Christ. These are the pictures of baptism and this is why we baptize. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thanks. Thanks for the chance to gather and to worship today. Thank you for the truth that we have seen throughout the New Testament today that reminds us of your great work on our behalf. Lord, may we be a collection of people um, who hear your call and follow it, that celebrate publicly what you have done for us uh, through water baptism. And Lord, thank you for the fact that our lives can be wrapped up in you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ alone. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.